Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us for yet another lovely morning and a SACPAT presentation. SACPAT believes, SACPAT acknowledges that this event takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and Métis nations of Alberta Region 3, and we pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationship to the land. SACPA commits to assist reconciliation efforts by raising awareness of the ways past, present, and present injustices can be reconciled. SACPA is also very thankful for the continued support we receive from the University of Lethbridge, Shaw Spotlight, and the Lethbridge Herald. SACPA believes in providing a safe space for everybody to participate in meaningful conversation and will do its best to preserve and promote such a context on all its settings. As a result, SACPA will not tolerate any bullying or harassments on its channels. Comments designed to attack, bully, harass individuals based on their race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, country of origin or political affiliations will not be tolerated. Further, comments containing obscenity or deflammatory language will be deleted. SACPA is really thankful today to have some time with Rachel Notley, our MLA and leader of the official opposition in Alberta. Thank you for joining us today. Um, Rachel Notley serves as Alberta's premier from 2015 to 2019. She has represented the constituency of Edmonton Strathcona since 2008. Rachel grew up in Fairview, Alberta, and is the daughter of former Alberta NDP leader Grant Motley and his wife Sandy. She holds a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science from the University of Alberta and a law degree from Osgoode Hall Law School. Thank you very much for joining us today, Rachel, and I look forward to your talk. Well, thank you very much, Alanis, for that introduction. And uh, let me uh, begin by saying good morning to everybody. I am I'm so happy to be back to be back at the uh, Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. I believe I was the first sitting premier to address SACPA and I remember insisting on it because I knew the passion and engagement of your members. For more than 50 years, SACPA has been the gathering place for discussion and debate in a forum fostering community, citizenship and lifelong learning. And I've always admired SACPA's ability to bring together opposing views in a nonpartisan setting, encouraging all of us to consider different perspectives. Although different perspectives is probably a bit soft for describing the gaps in opinion between, say, Nathan Newdorf and Shannon Phillips, for example. Uh, as you all know, Shannon is a fierce advocate for her community. She works hard, not just for the people of Lethbridge West, but also for folks in Lethbridge East who have concerns and other folks in the South who might not have confidence in their own MLAs, especially, for instance, when their MLA might be, say, Drew Barnes, uh, who's trying to evict his own constituents in a pandemic or trying to separate Alberta from Canada. Now, maybe I shouldn't be too harsh. After all, debating these kinds of ideas is precisely why SACPA was formed. So if you can do me a favor and arrange a Phillips-Barnes debate, well, that'd be great. I might, would even drive down and make the popcorn for the rest of us, COVID permitting, of course. But in all seriousness, while this pandemic has caused so much stress and heartbreak, I'm at least glad to know that it has not stopped us, as Albertans, from finding ways to get together online and discuss the important issues facing our province. Forums like SACPA are more important now, perhaps, than ever. 
Alberta's been hit hard. Now, even before the pandemic, Jason Kenney's plan had failed. Let me be really clear about this. This was pre-pandemic. The economy had stalled. The province had lost 50,000 jobs. And the deficit, the deficit managed by those people who claim to be the best at managing our money, that had doubled. All this despite and perhaps because of their $4.7 billion corporate handout. And then COVID arrived and exacerbated these challenges at the worst possible time. In Lethbridge, business licenses shrank 10%. New home construction was cut in half from recent years. And in December, the unemployment rate was the highest in Alberta. But still, the economy in Lethbridge is more diversified than the rest of the Alberta. And the people of Lethbridge remain innovative, determined, resilient. Now, we saw this in the city's COVID response, where they showed leadership early on by starting support programs and making masks mandatory. And I want to thank Mayor Spearman and all City Council for their work to support the people of Lethbridge. And in particular, I want to recognize Councillor Rob Miyashiro, who spearheaded the Lethbridge Helping Organization's response that was internationally recognized by the World Health Organization. I also want to recognize Economic Development Lethbridge, Southgrow, and the Lethbridge Chamber of Commerce for their work supporting businesses through the Lethbridge Region Economic Recovery Task Force. And indeed, I really want to thank all of those not-for-profit organizations, the volunteer groups, the healthcare workers, the essential frontline workers, the citizens who've just done so much to support each other and so many through this past year. That community support and perseverance is exactly how we will overcome this virus, by working together. And it's only together that we'll be able to tackle the challenges that remain primarily our path to a real, long-term and sustainable economic recovery. And that's what I want to discuss with you today. Because frankly, while the pandemic and its effects remain our day-to-day -day reality and our front-of-mind concern, we actually need to start looking past it and plan for what comes next. We need a vision for after the vaccine. Our province is in the midst of a generational economic shift, one that had started before COVID, but they've been accelerated now. And our actions at this time will actually set the stage for years, even decades to come. So we need an economic strategy and we need it now. I don't think it's lost on anyone here that our economy post-COVID will change, whether we like it or not. It's changing as we speak. So we must build a modern, diversified economy, one that benefits all Albertans. Now, the pressing need for diversification is not headlines. In fact, it's the oft-repeated call in this province for decades, which is why I was surprised to hear our UCP finance minister about this time last year, referred to it as, quote, a long-term luxury. To be clear, it is not. It is an urgent need. Which is exactly why I would argue that my government made a good start on making on many important strategies to promote diversification. And on that, I'm thinking of our investments in landmark renewable energy projects, in fostering local upgrading and petrochemical refining and supporting new technology and innovation startups with a suite of targeted tax credits. And while I'm proud of progress that we made, I know the real fix doesn't happen overnight. And 
when it's the very financial and economic security of your family or your business that's on the line, the need for solutions is personal and it's urgent. So I saw it every day as premier and when even as economic conditions began to improve and we once again were leading the country in growth, we knew that families hadn't felt those gains and concerns about our economic security remained absolute top of mind for many, many Albertans. So in 2019, Albertans, including those in Lethbridge and Southern Alberta, told us that we had to do better and we had to be more bold and we needed to build a stronger economic plan. So that's exactly what my caucus and I are doing now. We call this initiative Alberta's Future because I believe the real answers to our challenges today come from being bold enough to seek tomorrow's solutions, not recycling yesterday's playbook. So this means bringing every single Albertan into a conversation where we can chart that future together by creating a shared social and economic strategy. And we also don't want to do that work in the echo chamber of partisanship. Now, we won't agree on everything. I get that. But I am adamant that Albertans from all perspectives, cultures, occupations, and indeed all political persuasions have, need to have a place to share their ideas and hear new ones from others in conversations. Conversations that are both grounded in and shaped by a clear set of principles. What are those principles? Well, first, in my view and that of our caucus, our economic plan must be focused squarely on the economic security of Albertans. And that means jobs. Economic development that comes without jobs is not the kind of economic development that we need to be pursuing. We need jobs that pay the mortgage, jobs that sustain families, and jobs that improve the quality of life in our communities. Most importantly, jobs that last. Second, the strategy that we develop has to benefit and include all Albertans. We cannot have an economic recovery that leaves more and more people waiting, left behind. And that means we have to include racialized people, women, people with disabilities, and quite frankly, all the working people who did the heavy lifting during the last boom. All of those people have to be part of the recovery. We can't have a strategy where anyone is left behind. So third, we must build an economy that makes economic diversification, as I said, a priority and rejects any notion that it's a luxury for another time. We have to build on our existing strengths, yes, but we also have to forge new ones. Fourth, our strategy must put the public sector at the table with the private sector as an active partner. Today, Jason Kenney seems to see the public service as somehow being an impediment to economic success as if firing more staff will somehow help the economy. It will not. The fact is, Alberta is but one player in a large global international economy. And that means the public sector has an important role to play in marshalling our economic opportunities as strategically as possible. And finally, last principle, folks, we will not engage in a race to the bottom. We will build a path to the top. I will never accept in fact, I will actively oppose any plan for economic growth that is focused on competing for the lowest and worst conditions for working people and the communities in which they live. That is not a race to the top. It's the opposite. It's a race to the bottom. And here's the thing. When you compete for last place, you actually risk achieving just that. So those are the principles. 
Next comes the hard part, the specifics. And this is where we need your help. While our team has consulted, tested, built, and released three proposals or discussion papers so far, and trust me, there are many, many more to come, we're still building and consulting on ideas, and we want to hear from you. So I want to share some of them with you today, in particular, a few ideas that I believe are quite urgent for the future of Southern Alberta. First, Southern Alberta is in the midst of a boom in renewable energy, $2 billion of investment in projects that directly benefit Albertans. Now, we saw the opportunity in our sharp winds and sunny days, which is why our NDP government kick-started the Renewable Electricity Program in 2017. That program brought major renewable energy players from around the world to Alberta's doorstep, and today they are investing here. For example, construction is slated to begin this year on the Traverse Solar Project near Vulcan, one of the biggest solar farms in Canada with one and a half million solar panels. Greengate Energy says the project will be offering clean energy to over 200,000 homes and with it, local jobs. Capital Power is gearing up phase two of the Whitlaw Land Power Project, installing an additional 27 massive wind turbines in the county of 40 Mile. Rattlesnake Ridge, Cypress Wind, the Bull Hall Solar Farm, there are dozens of active projects underway today and more to come with more than 90 project applications under review by ESO right now. And this is just the beginning. According to Goldman Sachs, global investment in renewable energy is set to surpass oil and gas for the first time ever this year. Clean tech and renewable projects will drive trillions in investment and millions of new jobs globally. So seeing, seeing this opportunity, what did the UCP do? Well, they've abandoned it. They've canceled any further large-scale competitions and stated the project supported by my government would be the last. We can't let this spark burn out just because the UCP is ideologically opposed to using Alberta's vast wind and solar resources to generate renewable electricity. I'll tell you right now that my goal is to restore Alberta's position as the number one hotspot destination for renewables investment on the continent by making Southern Alberta the power center for Alberta's greener grid. We know there are even more opportunities outside wind and solar. Alberta also has the potential to be at the forefront of another significant renewable energy boom, hydrogen fuel production and export. Now, Alberta is in a unique position to use our natural gas feedstock to produce blue hydrogen for fuel to meet future global demands for cleaner energy, an estimated $100 billion annual industry. If done right, Alberta could create thousands of new jobs, draw billions of new investment, and spark an energy revolution on the prairies, not unlike the one envisioned by Peter Lougheed when Alberta unlocked the oil sands over 40 years ago. And I'm not just talking about leveraging our abundance of natural gas for the purposes of developing blue hydrogen, a game changer in and of itself. I'm also talking about truly renewable green hydrogen. So our proposal on hydrogen found on albertasfuture.ca includes making significant strategic investment to produce and export hydrogen. Now, we know that hydrogen isn't the only play out there, which is why our energy strategy also includes investments in other renewables like geothermal. We can leverage our existing expertise in drilling to create 10,000 jobs and help get drillers back to work. More than that, we can use this experience as a commodity in and of itself by exporting it to other parts of the world who see opportunities in geothermal but lack our talent, our expertise, our technology. The fact is we have to recognize where the world is moving and we must move forward with it. 
Now, oil and gas will always have a place in Alberta's economy, but in the face of unprecedented restructuring and uncertainty, we must diversify. We are energy leaders. It's in our blood. Alberta can, once again, be a global energy superpower in all forms of energy. We also, however, need to be mindful of how energy development interacts and intersects with other critically important industries, for instance, agriculture. Because let's be clear, these projects don't just use land, they use water. Southern Alberta's farm and ranch lands are among the best in the world, partly because more than three-quarters of Canada's irrigated water supply is here. There are more than 900 farms in southern Alberta generating farm receipts of over a billion dollars every year, representing assets of roughly three billion. And there are more than 100 estab 120 established agri-food processing businesses producing everything from potatoes to pulses for local consumption and export. This opportunity only keeps growing. Cavendish's $350 million potato processing plant will only be the largest private investment in Lethbridge's history until the next one comes along. And so we need to do more to support this growth now. And that's why our NDP caucus is consulting on ways we can build the next generation of agricultural production to drive innovation, job creation, and capture market share locally and globally. So this means an unprecedented investment in agritech, new support for agri-processing, and yes, helping farmers and ranchers fight climate change. Instead of closing agricultural research and technology centers, we should be investing in state-of-the-art equipment such as tractors equipped with GPS guidance, ensuring fuel, seed, or fertilizer is not wasted by overlapping. Instead of canceling programs allowing producers to generate carbon offsets, we should be encouraging them by deploying renewable and solar energy on farms, improving energy storage, and grid tieback. Instead of firing dozens and perhaps hundreds of dedicated agriculture researchers and experts supporting farmers across the province, we should use that expertise to create a modern service platform where farmers can access data on everything from weather forecast to soil management to crop production rendered digitally and in real time. So if the UCP wants to, quote, get out of agricultural research, as one former researcher described, then they better give their head a shake because this is Alberta and Alberta is agriculture. So I don't know if he understands it or if he just trusted the opinions of his friends in the lobby industry, but Jason Kenney has badly underestimated how much Albertans care for and respect the land we live on and live off. He was surprised when Albertans were outraged at his plan to sell our parks. He was surprised when First Nations people, hunters, anglers, off-road enthusiasts, enthusiasts all came together to oppose his plan to sell crown land. And he was surprised when ranchers took him to court and country music stars started mean tweeting him because they found out his jobs plan is to let foreign companies strip mine sensitive areas of the Rockies. Let us be clear. These backroom deals with Australian coal companies don't add jobs. They jeopardize jobs in agriculture, tourism, recreation, and more. And it risks impacting both water quality and quantity for producers across Canada's entire breadbasket. The truth is, as long as Jason Kenney is Premier, the beautiful landscapes of Alberta, our mountains, our headwaters, our parks, the places we cherish with our families and in our memories are all under threat. This is not the future that we want for our kids. Alberta's future actually depends on us responsibly managing our land and our water for future generations. Now, if you'll allow me, I want to pull back just for a moment from talking about specific economic 
opportunities and address the role of government and community in promoting growth. When Mayor Spearman announced his retirement recently, I was thinking about the major things our government was able to accomplish in the city and how at those press conferences, Chris would always start with Lethbridge's motto, calling the city a gateway to opportunity, but always impressing that that means, quote, opportunity for everyone. So that to me is government at its best, ensuring that everyone has the opportunity to grow and succeed and contribute to this province that we love. What Jason Kenney is doing, what he will do when his budget is introduced next week, is the opposite. He truly believes economic prosperity is achieved by providing people with less. That's not true. Economic prosperity is strangled when inequality grows. But let me tell you this. Poverty gets worse when we fail to address it or when we actually act to make it worse. Its roots get deeper and its consequences span more generations. I was so proud of our four years in government when in the middle of a recession, we actually succeeded in cutting child poverty in half because we acted on childcare, we acted on the child benefit, we acted on raising the minimum wage, and in return, we started to see real economic growth leading the country in 2018. Turns out, that's what happens when you make sure people can afford rent and food for themselves and their family. Who knew? So I will never share the belief that making life harder for those who can least afford it is somehow a path to economic prosperity. It is not. It is cruel. It is immoral. And it also actually happens to go against the basics of sound economic theory. I believe Albertans recover economies, and we need to invest in strong communities to help them do that, especially when times are tough. So instead of making massive cuts to the University of Lethbridge as the city grapples with the economic impact of the dip in student population, we should be reinvesting in post-secondary excellence that prepares the next generation for the future they choose. We shouldn't be firing thousands of frontline healthcare staff, starting a war with doctors, and seizing local EMS dispatch in the middle of a pandemic. Instead, we should be investing in the Chinook Regional Hospital and making sure that when the need is greatest, the ambulance is actually on the way. Rather than cutting the support staff who help the children most struggling in our schools, we should be reducing class sizes and actually taking steps to keep them safe from this pandemic. And instead of resorting to overheated rhetoric and pointing the finger back at Albertans who struggle with addictions and mental health, we should be investing in wraparound services and affordable housing because the real way to end homelessness is to provide homes. And finally, we can't turn a blind eye to the tragedy that has unfolded in long-term and continuing care. The number of lives lost in homes that did not have enough staff or resources to meet the standards of care we would all have expected for our loved ones. The pandemic exposed what we've always known. It's just not good enough. Leaders at every level of government, starting with this one, must take a hard look at whether or not this privatization has yielded the proper quality of care. Now, we need a national conversation about caring for seniors because this pandemic has exposed that we have not lived up to our responsibility to them. We know there's more to do. And I know we didn't get all these things right when we were in government either. I get that. But we worked hard to make life better, and my commitment is that we need to get hold of this issue and make that work better. Unlike Jason Kenney and the UCP, we know these important public services are not secondary 
to economic success. They are not nice-to-haves. They are musts. They are the vital building blocks for real economic recovery, one that takes advantage of all the opportunities we have in Alberta. And there are so many. New technology and AI, tourism, transportation, childcare, manufacturing, lithium extraction, bitumen beyond combustion, cultural industries, small business development, the list is endless. And these are just some of the sectors that we believe we need to promote as part of our quest for a significantly more diversified economy, no matter who is in charge. The fact is, Mr. Kenny and I will no doubt be presenting very different visions for the province in the next election. But I am intent on building ours with Albertans, because the best ideas don't happen in the back rooms. They happen when people come together in forums just like this one. And that is why today I'm asking sincerely, what are your urgent challenges, the missed opportunities? How do we grow our strengths? What new sectors need support? And what do you want to see for the future of your province? I need all of you, all of you, whether you're just an interested citizen, a subject matter expert, or an entrepreneur. Go to albertasfuture.ca and read our proposals, send us your feedback, and most importantly, send in your ideas and your own research. We won't agree on everything, but I believe we will only have the best plan we possibly can for Alberta's future by hearing the greatest number of Albertans and their ideas. I want a plan that's well canvassed and measurable, realistic and creative, because in all of this, the success of our Alberta's future strategy means having a vision for the future that is ambitious, enterprising, and impossible to ignore. Because if it's done well, it won't be an NDP plan. It will be Alberta's plan. So before I wrap up and open things up for discussion, I just want to say one last thing. I truly believe we are at our best when we work together with common purpose. There will always be different paths forward, and what we choose matters. Is our path one where we are always looking for the fight, where we're always looking for someone to blame, and where we're comfortable leaving others behind, if that means success for ourselves? Or is our path one where we solve these problems together, where we take responsibility for our problems and try to fix them, where we don't stop working until every one of us has the same chance of success that we had or have? In my vision for Alberta, we don't define ourselves by our common enemies, we work hard for the common good. I believe that's an Alberta we can all be proud of, and that's the future I want from my province. So I ask, what kind of future do you want? Thank you, and I'm very much looking forward to our discussion. Thank you so much, Rachel, for your talk. I'm getting quite a lot of feedback on my, uh, on my voice. Um, the SECPA board, thank you, that's better. The SECPA board of directors... Is that a little bit better, Annalise? Yes, thank you, that's better. Uh, the SECPA board of directors has provided two questions for you. So I'll start with those and then we'll go on to the questions in the live stream. Uh, the first question uh, from the SECPA board of directors, what qual qu water quality and quantity is of particular interest to Lethbridge and agricultural producers and processors such as Cavendish and McCain 
in irrigation-dependent southern Alberta. The current Alberta government has, since last year, encouraged mountaintop coal mining in the Old Man watershed by selling leases for such in that area. What position do you and your party hold on the proposed coal mine venture? Well, thank you uh, for that question uh, uh, to your board. Um, let me start by saying that these headwaters are incredibly important for drinking, for uh, uh, business, for communities, and for agriculture in and downstream of the eastern slopes, um, and not to mention for just generally sustaining life and ecosystems. So we've called on the government to pause changes to the Old Man River Basin allocation. These waters are under increasing pressure due to changes in, uh, in climate and high demands from different users. So it's very important that Albertans, including Indigenous people, are broadly consulted. Um, uh, and we know that uh, these, the communities generally in Alberta's future jobs are uh, very dependent on careful evidence-based, uh, careful stewardship. And so we need a, a very uh, hard pause on changes to water allocations. And, uh, you know, what we're talking about here right now is these water allocations are going to these water-intensive coal mining where we know that there are significant risks of water contamination. So we've been very clear, MLA Marlon Schmidt, Shannon Phillips, and me, we need to stop coal mining activities in Category 2 lands of the eastern slopes. These lands and waters are incredibly sensitive and under pressure. Uh, other projects need the highest standards and evidence applied in decision-making. Um, and uh, the, the South Saskatchewan Regional Plan outlined an assessment and consultation process uh, pretty clearly. Uh, but I think that we we know there is growing concern around uh, the ability to have uh, any kind of activity uh, in those areas done in a way that can preserve the integrity of the water supply. Okay, um, the second question from the Board of Directors. While some project investments have been made to improve irrigation infrastructure and agricultural technological research in southern Alberta by the current Alberta government. It has severely cut funding to Alberta agriculture and post-secondary institutions, including the University of Lethbridge and Lethbridge College, both of which represent a high proportion of Lethbridge jobs. What position do you and your party hold on funding for agricultural research and post-secondary education? Well, let me begin by saying uh, that this is one of these things that frustrates me uh, incredibly watching how this government operates. We've seen, uh, you know, whether it's the Minister of Economic Development or other ministers literally skipping around the province, dropping little press releases where they announce a million dollar uh, investment here or a million dollar investment there uh, that is allegedly designed to, to support um, innovation and economic or ec agriculture or other types of research. But at the same time, they've done that when they have taken a billion dollars out of our post-secondary uh, system. So it is, it, is, it is incredibly disingenuous and quite frankly dishonest uh, with Albertans because they, you can't take a billion dollars out of your post-secondary system and not expect there to be a profound uh, gaps in the level of research that can be done and as well as the quality of education. So we completely agree that agriculture research and post-secondary education are critical areas to invest in at this time. Now, we've been consulting on both areas through albertasfuture.ca. We haven't written the papers yet, but, but we've had town halls already. We anticipate releasing our first set of economic proposals for post-secondary education sometime in March. And we also have four to five 
sets of economic proposals coming for our ag sector. So this work is being led by advanced head critic uh, David Egan and our new agriculture critic Heather Swede. And so I encourage you to reach out to both of them directly to provide your ideas in this important area, like the specifics of it, again, through albertasfuture.ca. Uh, but generally speaking, um, we know that uh, this is what I talked about at the very beginning and the, pr the principles that govern uh, the work that we're going to do through Alberta's future. The public sector plays an important role in, in research uh, and, and also development, both through post-secondary as well as the historic investment that has been done through the Agriculture Department to support uh, world-leading agricultural practices. And now is not the time to uh, uh, rip support out of there or to privatize it, which appears to be, uh, in part, what this government's doing, which creates a whole other set of issues around the objectivity of the information that uh, many in the uh, agriculture sector are receiving. A lot of issues there. <laughs> Thank you. Our next question comes from Tom Muffet. Hi, Rachel. A large number of Alberta's underdeveloped opportunities are in Southern Alberta. What part of your vision for the future would have the most impact on the people and places south of Calgary? Well, I, I think I hope to, that that we covered some of that uh, in the in the talk that that I just gave. Uh, but there's no question. So we know that uh, Southern Alberta, of course, has a incredibly, as we've just been talking about, incredibly rich agricultural sector, uh, and and there's opportunities for more uh, agro processing, agro manufacturing within that sector, as well. Uh, the renewable energy uh, sector is uh, has has still much untapped potential. Um, there. Um, as well, uh, you know, one of the things that we'll be talking about again is, is, is high tech uh, or, or, or tech and AI and, and those kinds of um, uh, and, and health infrastructure. And, and we know that, quite frankly, in Lethbridge, you have a, a, a very strong infrastructure of uh, post-secondary and, and research in Lethbridge. And so um, in that sense, there's, there's uh, opportunities to be had in terms of the innovation that we saw coming and see coming out of the post-secondary sector, not just in Lethbridge, also Medicine Hat as well. Um, and, and so there's work to be uh, done there in terms of partnering with our post-secondary uh, sector and the researchers that, uh, you know, we have a, a nice collection of folks that are working together. I hate to use the word synergy because it kind of weirds me out, but there is a bit of that. Uh, in southern Alberta. And then, of course, you know, tourism, it, it continues to be something that I think we have to think about uh, more significantly, obviously, when COVID ends. And, and uh, there's so many opportunities for that as well. Um, so all of the, those are some ideas. But again, part of what we're here to do today is to remind you to go to albertasfuture.ca. And as residents of southern Alberta and subject matter experts and lovers of your community, tell us what kinds of economic opportunities exist in southern Alberta that we should be doing some research on and and, and trying to and, and considering uh, appropriate places where government can support. Okay, our next question comes from Barry Knapp. Will you encourage the reinstatement of the access to the future fund to support donors to post-secondary? Um, I think we'd have to sort of go back. Uh, I remember the future. I am now, I'm trying to remember uh, that the fund in general 
was a good fund. Uh, I think that we have to find ways to make sure that it is used most efficiently and and strategically. Uh, sorry, I'm trying to remember the details of it. Um, and and that uh, you know it it amounts to sort of as well a fair form of taxation in one you know. Um, but uh, generally speaking. Um, if I recall, I think it was a, uh, you know, a reasonably functional um, method of fund fundraising. But again, I'd have to go back. At the end of the day, what I do know is what we want to see is um, uh, independence uh, of research and fairness in our tax system and adequate support for post-secondary to reach the objectives that we all agree we want. And so the question becomes ensuring that we have that access to the future um, fits into that appropriately, meeting those goals. Okay, our next, um, I'm not sure if this is a question or a comment. I'll leave it up to you to, um, to decide if you want to comment on this. It's from Kimberly Richards. I'm pleased to see the NDP legislator, legislators express outrage, recall, exploration, uh, comma, park destabilization, comma, forced investment of AR, AFTR funds to AIMCO, but I have missed seeing your face on those objections. Sorry, I, I didn't quite get this. Oh, I yeah, let me... Yeah, so I'm pleased to see the NDP legislators expressed Expressing outrage, recall exploration, park destabilization, forced investment of AFT funds to AIMCO, but I have missed seeing your face on those objections. Uh, well, I don't quite know what to say about that, except that uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, I was at the Coal Town Hall in Calgary last week, um, and I will say that I'm very proud of our very strong caucus. Um, uh, who do incredibly good work in their respective critic areas. Uh, and I, I find that an interesting comment. I sometimes feel uh, self-conscious uh, self about being too much there instead of um, uh, having other people. But what I will say is I'm very glad that uh, we've been able to focus on these issues uh, with respect to the pensions, for example, you know, just even since the election, we know Kenny's lied to people about what would happen with their pensions and what would happen with their, um, you know, the, their ability to control the investment policies around their pensions. And uh, so I know that both uh, Shannon and Christina and uh, uh, Sarah Hoffman have all been uh, strong uh, uh, voices uh, to stand up for the rights of teachers and will continue to be. Excellent. Our next question comes from Terry Shillington. Rachel, do you see possibilities for Alberta to get into the manufacturing side of equipment for renewable energy? Um, I, you know, I would definitely be interested to hear about opportunities that exist there. Uh, you know, we're often told that our challenges with respect to manufacturing relate to supply chain and, and uh, an adequate, uh, um, adequate market. But I think that these days, with uh, the changes in tech and and uh, uh, new um, innovative ways to produce and and um, 
uh, to actually engage in manufacturing, that in fact a lot of those challenges are starting to disappear. And what we do have is a tremendously talented workforce and access to, to some of the, the best R&D uh, in the world. So uh, I would uh, bear, be very excited at looking at ways in which we can uh, support the manufacturing part of things. And obviously, again, because I think, uh, you know, we, we stand to have, uh, you know, obviously a healthy renewable energy sector in Alberta, or we should, um, that we would potentially be able to uh, take from that, build the expertise around manufacturing. Um, and then use that as part of what we export. But again, you know, I mean, I'm not an expert in the area. What I'm saying is we, this is the kind of stuff we need to hear about from folks. Okay. Um, I see that Tom Muffet has a second question. Tom, we'll get to second questions um, after we've heard everybody's first question. So um, maybe at the end, maybe not. There's a lot of questions in the queue, so I'm not sure. Our next question comes from Banari. Capitalism is great, but it requires active work, democracy, and community to work fairly. That's, that's a statement, I guess, more than a question, but I don't know if you'd like to comment. Well, I, I, uh, I, I think that is quite true. And I think that, you know, we, we always have to have line, you know, um, unfettered market capitalism actually doesn't generally help people. And we have a long tradition in democratic societies and developed countries around the world of, of having strong uh, democracies and robust systems of, of, you know, justice systems and robust uh, transparent regulatory systems to ensure that uh, uh, community safety and, and the community good uh, is, is protected. Uh, this is a government that frankly jeopardizes democracy in ways that are unprecedented in this uh, province, you know, whether you go back to the fact that the premier is still, or the premier's senior staff are still under investigation uh, for uh, inappropriate um, in, um, activities, a criminal investigation uh, during his leadership, whether you're talking about firing an independent officer of the legislature who is in the middle of investigating you, uh, whether you're talking about ripping up the rules around how you actually uh, debate the budget, and, and, and in our last budget was debated for less than half the time as is normally provided for because they just decide to write themselves a whole new set of rules. I mean, the games that they play uh, are endless. And so it is critically important that uh, the institutions of democracy, uh, you know, of, of the justice system uh, and, and the strength of our community as a whole uh, be uh, fully um, maintained in order to ensure ultimately the investor certainty that will actually grow our economy. We don't grow our economy if we are not predictable, if we are not transparent, if we don't make evidence-based decisions that uh, invite all players to the table. Um, quite frankly, you know, backroom deals that that uh, um, flout other laws and rights that people have invariably create investor uncertainty and ultimately undermines our ability to grow the economy. Our next question comes from Ian Hurdle. Any comments about the recent removal of local emergency dispatch from three municipalities? Well, as, as, as you know, this has been a hot issue for a long time. And uh, it is true that uh, this plan to, to change um, the dispatch has been something that HS has been pursuing over about four governments now. 
And uh, this government is the first one to finally go along with it. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, no disrespect to the folks who do the dispatch for AHS now, but what we are hearing uh, and seeing from uh, communities that uh, uh, are um, now having it forced on them is that the quality of services and the, the time of, of um, uh, service and the wait times and all that are troubling and that the quality of emergency care is, is being undermined. And, you know, there comes a time, I think, that where the folks on the ground in ge geographically disparate areas um, have value to offer to this conversation, and they have been systematically ignored by this government. And so, um, you know, I think it's crazy that in the middle of a pandemic, you actually have the Minister of Health suing um, mayors of a major uh, municipality. I mean, what in heaven's name? It's like it's it's like they you know that there, there was a day where they weren't fighting with somebody, so they decided to pick a new fight because a day cannot go by when they're not in the middle of fighting with somebody. And and, and it's just it 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 the 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 drain of people's attention uh, on this fight means that it's not that the attention and work is not being done on the things that we need to uh, combat the real threats and grow. Our community and our economy. I mean, there there is opportunity costs that we pay each and every day when we are lost in yet another fight with each other or others. Our next question comes from Colleen Underwood. What is a must see for next week's budget? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, um, th there's going to be a number of things that we will be looking for, but probably the biggest priority I would suggest is this. Um, we need to see a major, major healthcare investment. What we know is that uh, there is a massive backlog of, of health services um, that Albertans have not been able to access over the course of the last year because we, we delayed things and canceled things because of, the, um, because of COVID-19. I suspect you're gonna find that the budget, that a lot of money was not spent last year that because uh, we canceled surgeries and, and canceled treatment in so many different uh, areas. But what that means is that it wasn't like that Albertan suddenly woke up one morning and went, oh, I'm feeling super healthy now. What's happened is a lot of treatment has been delayed and there's going to be a massive uh, rush for it. And so we can't allow that to cripple uh, the system for years to come. So there needs to be a major throw there uh, to deal with that because Albertans' health is critically important. The other thing we need to see is uh, more investment in, uh, in our education system. We know our kids are struggling with what's currently going on. Uh, our educators have been doing yeoman's work uh, under very difficult circumstances to uh, deliver high quality education to kids. But they've been asked to do, you know, quite frankly, something that's almost impossible to like run an in-person class and then run a, a, a distant class. And then sometimes there's educational assistance available and sometimes they aren't there. And kids with special needs, there's suddenly a brand new set of special needs because they're online and kids don't know how to work out. Anyway, the, the educational outcomes uh, that we are seeing, not just in Alberta schools, but across the country, I suspect, are significantly compromised. And so the question is, are we as Albertans going to jump to fix that or are we just going to try to pretend it didn't happen? Our kids deserve 
the former, not the latter. Our next question comes from Graham Smith. What plan about the fish and wildlife, please? Uh, I'm wondering if I could get a bit more specificity on that question. I'm not entirely sure what the question is there. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that's all there is. I'm assuming it's around the environment, but um, Graham, if you're hearing this, could you please uh, elaborate on your question for Rachel Notley? Um, we'll go to the next question in the meantime. Mark Goodall, how much will it cost us to cancel all of those coal leases that have already been sold? Well, you know, that's a very, very good question. Now, uh, as, as you may or may not know, uh, on Tuesday, uh, we had a public accounts committee uh, that uh, your MLA Shannon Phillips chairs and the NDP uh, members of that public accounts committee actually asked to have the energy minister come before the public account so that we could get uh, some sense of exactly the answer to that question. Because of course there's been so much cloak and dagger and so much stuff done behind closed doors, including the original deals to get rid of the coal policy that was made with coal lobbyists behind closed doors without really you know, telling Albertans uh, honestly what exactly the consequences of that decision were. So there's been nothing but secrecy uh, and dishonesty from this government on this whole file. And so our MLAs uh, on the committee uh, tried to get the minister to come before the committee so we could get some of these questions answered. And what we saw was they voted to adjourn the meeting after about seven minutes. It was one of the most shocking displays of, of abusive authority. And I tell you, I, you know, and I say this every time because I think, oh, wow, I've never seen this before. You know, can, can they possibly be next level? And pretty much, yep, yep, they just, there's very little that they won't do. However, that, that, so the question, the answer is we don't know. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, these are uh, things that we do need to spend money on because we need to protect these, uh, the, these, uh, um, the headwaters and, and these areas. And if this government went off and made uh, ridiculous deals that are now going to cost Albertans in order to protect uh, our, our Rocky Mountains, well, we can once again thank the same folks who decided to throw $1.5 billion at a pipeline that everybody but Jason Kenney understood was likely to be cancelled. So, I mean, please don't ever anybody tell me that the UCP knows how to manage money because it seems the only thing they're really good at doing is finding ways to spend it irresponsibly. Um, Graeme Smith has, um, has commented definitely the environment and thank you, Rachel. So the question then is, um, Oh, let me just go back up there. Sorry. What plan? What plans do you have about protecting the fish and wildlife and the environment? Well, I think again, I guess that's a, a fairly big question. Um, I think you know we had started work. Uh, some of it had actually been started under the previous Conservative government, and then we sort of uh, worked very hard to to move it forward on a number of fronts. You know, we have the land use frameworks that many of which have not moved forward as quickly as they should, and that work needs to be accelerated. Um, you know, when uh, we were in government, we tried to create um, the um, the uh, um, Bighorn um, Park, 
which I think we still need to go back to that because that's a critical area that protects headwaters um, in uh, central and northern Alberta. Uh, so we need to protect our headwaters. We need to work with local organizations to protect stream crossings. We need to, to you know, at, at that granular level. And then we need overall to pr uh, ensure that, that our regulatory and uh, system uh, acts with integrity. I'm quite troubled right now about the state of the Alberta Energy Regulator. Uh, I think it has been deeply compromised by Jason Kenney and the UCP, uh, whether it was from firing hundreds of people that worked there to give them technical advice, or from the fact that they uh, very politically um, fired people from the board who did come to the board with a, you know, very balanced environmental perspective, but but from a background of protecting the environment, and they politicized that, and they they kicked those guys out, and 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 so they politicized the AER, and then they've they've uh, taken uh, resources away from it, uh, and so I think that there needs to be a pretty uh, serious uh, rethink about how we regulate. Uh, environmental protection and economic development within this province because these guys have completely uh, broken the system. And um, so, yeah, a lot, a lot of things. But let's, you know, go back to protecting more areas, consulting with folks um, in a meaningful way to do that, evidence-based, science-based, open, transparent, where everything everything's done up front and... Uh, and um, um, uh, and then fixing the AER. Our next question comes from Barry Olson. Is it time for a provincial sales tax? Um, you know, this is, I'm sure, I know I've been asked this question at Sackville before, and I know not everybody there agrees with me, but this is a place where I, I do agree uh, with the Premier in that right now is not the time. Our economy is in the worst shape it has ever, ever been. And asking people uh, to, you know, particularly uh, regular Albertans to pay more uh, right now is, is not going to help the economy. There are other places we need to go first. First of all, we need to reverse the $4.7 billion corporate handout. Uh, you know, I, I, this before we start asking, uh, you know, uh, my grandma down the street to pay more when she goes to the grocery store. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing uh, that we need to be looking at is uh, Jason Kenney has already raised taxes and raised fees and raised costs on Albertans in a not progressive way. Um, so, you know, you're paying the same whether you make $200,000 a year or $30,000 a year. Your car insurance costs have gone up 30% uh, in the last 12 months. That's a big thing. And, and it costs uh, everybody the same. So, um, you know, there's, I, I won't go through the long, long list of ways in which uh, Jason Kenney has increased costs on people already. But what I will say is, um, so that's not uh, the first priority. The first priority is to get the economy um, moving, uh, firing on all cylinders, to have a proper fair system of taxation. Um, and to make sure that profitable corporations are paying their fair share. And once those situations are in place, then we'll look at the overall fiscal situation and consider other options and, and have conversations at that time. But I don't, the other thing that I do want to throw in here, one last thing, is just on the issue of spending. And it, it kind of drives me uh, to distraction because here's the thing the UCP has been very successful on. They've been very successful at getting 
Albertans to quote the McKinsey report and say Alberta spends more than the other major provinces. And here is a thing people need to think about. It's a very simple point, but it's really critically important. Yes, we spend more per capita than BC and Ontario and Quebec. Um, do you know who else spends more per capita than BC and Ontario and Quebec? Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, PEI, Newfoundland, the Yukon, every other part of the country. Why? Because they are smaller. Why do we pay more? Because we are smaller. There are efficiencies that come with volume. And it is a profoundly manipulative and dishonest statement and simplistic, incredibly simplistic for uh, Jason Canney and Janice McKinnon and all these other folks to make that argument when what they're not doing is, is comparing apples to apples. And so uh, are there areas where we could cut? Well, probably we don't need to be spending $30 million on a international laughing stock per year of the war room. We don't need to have this ridiculous um, uh, uh, public inquiry where we are literally, as Albertans, paying for junk science out of the UK. Um, we need to start spending our money more intelligently, yes. But uh, this idea that, that this narrative that the UCP has created is built off of a very simplistic premise, and I would argue one uh, that our Albertans deserve to, to have a more balanced understanding of the pressures that, uh, that we face in the province. Excellent. Our next question comes from Tony and Tris Pargeton. What do you think should be done about all the COVID outbreaks in the meat processing plants? Well, you know, that's a really, really good question. And I am, uh, I, I have from day one been quite struck by the tone deafness of our regulators in this province to understand the um, uh, challenges and the dangers faced by primarily uh, vulnerable workers who work inside meatpacking plants. So even last week, when we saw uh, a death in the Olimel plant, we saw numbers were skyrocketing in terms of the infections there. The original, the answer from our government was to tell the employer to threaten to fine workers for not following instructions. And they don't seem to understand that within these uh, um, settings, workers have very little control over the way in which they do their work. And the people that have the control are the people that are running the plants. That's why there's actually a criminal investigation going on right now into what happened at Cargill, where we had the single largest outbreak on the continent while this government stood by and finger-wagged at vulnerable workers for somehow being the cause of it. Um, so I understand that, uh, that uh, meat packing and meat processing is critically important to our agricultural sector, our meat producing sector, and the people who work in it. However, no sector is so important that people's lives should be considered the cost of doing business. And so what needs to happen is uh, there needs to be much stricter control uh, over what happens within all of these meat packing plants. 
And where that control means that their capacity goes down in order to keep their production capacity goes down in order to keep workers safe, then there needs to the government needs to step up to provide support to the meat producers themselves. Um, it is not on the backs of thousands of vulnerable workers who are voiceless to pay the cost of the challenge presented by COVID. Um, it is on the government to keep those workers safe and to provide support for the meat producers whose uh, um, uh, you know, supply chains and, and, and uh, business models um, are obviously jeopardized by the slowdown in production. That is something that happened as a result of COVID. And that is something that we respond to. We don't respond by pretending that those workers don't exist, which is effectively way too much of what we have seen from this government since this pandemic began. Thank you very much. We're right on 11 o'clock and I just want to be sensitive to your time. I know that we have a few more questions in the queue. Are you able to stay a couple more minutes, Rachel? Uh, Oh, do I? Okay. Okay. So I think I've got about, I can take one more question and then I, I got to wrap it up. Okay. One more question it is. Thank you very much. Um, and that would be Cheryl Bradley's question. Are there changes in tech structure you propose that would help Albertans get off a boom and bust cycle and make us beholden to specific industrial sectors? Well, as I, I guess, as I said before, I mean, there's a lot, diversification doesn't happen overnight. Government has to be very intentional about it. And, and there is a multiplicity of strategies that government can engage in to help accelerate that diversification. So we were very happy because in fact, uh, we, we had a digital media tax credit and an investor tax credit that we brought in uh, when we were in government. And both of those tax credits help to kickstart uh, technological investment quite considerably um, over the term of our government. We also, near the end of our term, uh, brought in a plan uh, to provide, to, to um, specifically train uh, about 3,000 more people in various elements of the tech industry because that's what business was telling us was a problem that we didn't, even though we have super well-educated, young, uh, diverse um, uh, population here, not the actual specific education uh, in those areas was lacking. And so we created a, about 3,000 spots um, to, to support that. So the, that's just an example. And what we saw from that was that uh, even in the midst of the recession, the rate of investment in, in tech uh, in Calgary um, skyrocketed over that period of time. So it was a win. But, you know, there's always going to be new strategies. And this is where, again, I, I go to this point. Every economy, every jurisdiction in the world is trying to uh, become a leader in tech. So this is where government has a role to play by marshalling our resources and being strategic to figure out where's the niche where Alberta can get a jump and how can we do that. So all of that um, uh, means that we... That's, that's where the work that we're doing through Alberta's future. And, and so, again, for folks who have ideas on that, um, beyond some of the strategies that we've already brought in place, please do go to Alberta's future. We've had a couple of tech um, town halls already, uh, some with uh, people who are just interested in it, uh, one with a bunch of subject matter experts that was like crazy informative, um, and, and, so, uh, and, and, and a broad range. So please, uh, you know, reach out and we will be releasing our tech uh, strategy um, relatively soon. 
to answer those questions in more detail. Lovely. Thank you very much. And um, before we end the live stream, do you have a take home message for our viewers? Well, I think I've mostly just delivered it. I, I believe <laughs> that uh, we need a strategy coming out of this uh, pandemic. It cannot be one that uh, lets the chips fall where they may, where women spend 20 years trying to recover uh, what they lost through the pandemic and, and racialized minorities and people with disabilities and others uh, remain um, uh, operating under an increasingly um, opaque glass ceiling. Uh, we cannot do that. We have to focus on job creation. We have to focus on diversification. We cannot engage in a race to the bottom. We need to build our communities and, and uh, we need to understand that the public sector is uh, an incredible tool, not an impediment. And these things must be our focus. And, um, and, and so we need a strategy and we need to have the courage to plan five and 10 years down the road. Um, and that is the way we're gonna get uh, to where we need to be. Um, and um, so I ask people, please do go to albertasfuture.ca and offer up uh, all the ideas and suggestions you possibly can. And thank you all for taking the time uh, today to, to listen and to engage. And thank you for those great questions as well. Take care. Wonderful. Stay safe. Wonderful. Thank you. There's lots of thank yous in the queue. Thank you for your work on behalf of Albertans and speaking to SACPA. I can go on. It's just loads of thank yous from the queue. Also on behalf of SACPA, thank you very much. And for people tuning in, we hope you tune in next week for sustainable farming. What role can biogas production play in reducing CO2 emissions with uh, farmer Chris Perry, potato farmer Chris Perry. Um, thanks very much and we'll see you next week.